This is Welcome to Dylan's House, our family's real-life story navigating autism and how it inspired us to pay it forward. Join us, meet us, give back. Dylan'sHouse.org. Thank you for joining us here on Welcome to Dylan's House. My name is Kevin Shope. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Amy Shope. Say hi, Amy. Hi, everybody. So, Amy, why are we doing a podcast today? It has always been my mission to keep it really real and raw and be able to share stories about our family with uh, friends. And I really think this podcast is going to help get the word out. I would agree. And so before we kind of get into what that word is and and what we're trying to do, maybe just kind of set up everything. So this podcast is going to be about our family. Correct. um, And kind of our journey to where we're at now. So our family are the two of us, and we've known each other now, been together 31 years, married 26 years. I was hoping Um, you would get that right. Well, I I double-checked, to be honest, before the podcast, (laughs) because I knew I didn't want to screw that one up. But we have two children, healthy, happy kids. We have our 22-year-old son, Dylan, and we have our 19-year-old daughter, Anderson. And Anderson is currently a sophomore in college. And Dylan is autistic, and that's a lot of what this is going to be about as far as this podcast and our journey navigating autism with our family throughout the years. Dylan is doing very well. He now lives in his own home with 24-7 caregiver support, but we're really here to talk uh, about the journey about how we got there. I think that sounds like a perfect idea. Beautiful. So why don't you start us back at the beginning and how our our family started? Yes, let's go back to the early days, uh, back at Jim Dandy's 1992, when I uh, made my way out of the apple orchard, like you said, of where I lived in Greenford, and uh, journeying out and met this boy from Poland. We met when we were in college. I was going to Kent State. Kevin was going to Youngstown State. I was home for the summer waitressing, and I just went along with a girlfriend who um, knew this guy from Poland, and he was going to be out. And I guess the rest is history as far as that, but we'll have to go through that history. We will. Yeah, so you definitely grew up a farm girl. It's funny because the first time I drove out to pick you up for a date, like you said, you lived in the middle of an apple, apple orchard, so... But, you know, that night we met, obviously the best night of my life. So the rest is history. So talk a little bit about, you know, and again, I think for us over the years, like when we hear the word typical or normal, you know, probably means something a lot different to us now than it did 30 years ago. But I think at the time, you know, kind of from when we met, we dated five years, we got married. Um, you know, I would say that we probably considered it a pretty typical or, or normal progression. I mean, what are your thoughts? I would say that we are planners and we always have been. And even from the get go, everything is planned out. So you graduate from college, you're engaged, you plan your dream wedding, you go on a honeymoon, you have a house. And we were really good at like planning everything out. We even decided when we wanted to have a baby and things went according to plan. And we we really planned everything out. The nursery, everything about Dylan, um, who was our firstborn. 
And then you realize that there are so many things you just can't plan. And as much as you plan for them, it's not the journey that you thought you were going to take at all. And as we talk a lot about the stories over the last 22 years, it was a really hard journey. But now when you look back, you can realize that it was definitely the journey you were supposed to be on, even though you didn't plan for it. So that's my summary. I agree. So getting back, so Dylan, as you said, was our firstborn. He became pregnant four, four and a half years after we were married. And then, you know, had some issues even before Dylan was born. Oh, are you so, going to make fun of me for how uh, for uh, all the cookies uh, I used to eat? I'm not going to make fun of you uh, literally baking a dozen muffins uh, in the morning before work, and those would be gone by the end of the day. I wasn't going to mention that, but since you brought it up. But no, Dylan was, what, about a month premature, and you had some issues yes. with high blood pressure? So. so Dylan was due March 17th. And towards the uh, last months, January, beginning of February, my blood pressure became really high. So he was induced and born on February 17th, exactly a month early. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely, um, you know, nothing that you planned for, but we still didn't really think anything of it. He, he spent like an hour in the NICU. He was a healthy baby. He weighed almost seven pounds, even a month early. He... Um, did everything he was supposed to do. We brought him home right on time. So I think that was all pretty. And and I get asked this question a lot about when did you notice? And I think especially as new parents and a new mom, and especially 22 years ago, you don't really know what you're even supposed to look for. You have this beautiful, perfect baby, and you just follow along with what the pediatrician tells you what your mom tells you and what your friends tell you. So I thought everything was pretty typical from the get-go. What do you... Yeah, I would agree. You know, I think, you know, we were very fortunate. I would say for the most part, you know, everything went very smoothly for us up, up to that point. Like you said, we just, you know, married, had five years to ourselves before we had our, our firstborn. Dylan decided to come early, and, and I was going to mention, you know, one of my favorite stories is that the night, I guess, before he was born, because our family was really excited, right? It was the first grandchild for my parents. It was the first grandson for your parents. Um, yeah. And I remember all of us in that hospital room the night before he was born, and the nurse coming in and kicking everybody out because you had high blood pressure. But it all ended up good. And yeah, I think for, and again, I'm going to use this word like typical again, which, you know, you can define that a lot of different ways. And I think that's changed for us. But I think Dylan as a newborn was pretty much what you would expect. He was. He hit all his milestones as far as rolling over and sleeping through the night, like about eight weeks old, really did everything that he was supposed to do right right when he was supposed to do it. Yeah. And you said before, we're both planners and we definitely were, you know, looking back, very scheduled routine people with our newborn as far as you know, the feedings and and letting them cry and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Dylan, you know, slept through the night probably earlier than a lot of babies do and was really hitting all the milestones. I still remember, you know, when he started walking 
early. Can, yeah, you're going to probably remember exactly what age he was. You have a better memory. Well, for that he kind wasn't. Of stuff, but he wasn't even one. Yeah, but I remember. I think it was a, a Wednesday night, and you were out with your mom. And I remember being home with Dylan, and I think that was the first time he really walked because, ba- you know, in that split level we had down in the family room, he would try to go from like one corner of the room to the other. Right. And I still remember being home with him alone, and I think that was the first time he walked. So, was, yeah. um, you know, it was kind of on track or ahead with everything. So, anything else you remember about Dylan's first couple of years? I mean, I just think that to kind of jump right into some of it, he was ahead of everything until he wasn't Mm -hmm. and he didn't talk. So everybody always asks me, I get asked this question daily, you know, when did you know? What did you think? Did you notice something? And for us, he just, he didn't talk and he also wouldn't wave by like most little kids will and he didn't point, but I didn't realize that that meant anything. I didn't know that that was motor skills. And everybody can over-explain things, you know, oh, he's a a boy, he's going to talk late, he's your first child, they always talk late, and they had, I read every single book, I mean, everything that I could to see, but then when we went to the pediatrician when he was two, she said, no, he should be saying however many words, and that's when she suggested Um, She also must have noticed some other things, and she wanted us to get him checked out. And I'm sure you remember the, I'm sorry, horrible psychologist that she sent us to in Youngstown. I do. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about, so our pediatrician referred us to the psychologist because of these concerns. And why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what that experience was? Oh, I remember like the whole entire day. So Dylan was pretty, you know, I use wild loosely, but, you know, he was pretty rambunctious and he was a boy. So that can be expected. But he was a climber and a runner. So we go as the old north north side hospital. We go to meet with this psychologist, not a friendly guy. And they have this big dollhouse that Dylan was playing with. And he's and I remember thinking, well, this doctors asking you and I all these questions that Dylan was being amazing. I was so happy because he was playing with the furniture. He was like stacking it on top of each other and moving it around. And this doctor sets his pencil down after like 10 minutes and says, oh, he has PDD, which I didn't know what that was. Never heard of it in my life. He says pervasive developmental disorder. It's a form of autism. So of course I start crying because, you know, that's the worst thing that you can hear. And he says, but I'm going to need to see him like five more times. Mm-hmm. And I know we, I couldn't have got out of that office quicker. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we obviously did not go back to him. And I think that then I know that the next steps that we did, because you can have a way of talking yourself out of things. And the next things that we did were just sign him up for speech therapy. Mm-hmm. So this was, you know, obviously like 20 years ago, right? Dylan's 22 now. So. You know, I think a lot, I don't think I know, a lot less awareness as far as autism goes 20 years ago than there is today. You know, obviously a lot less resources, but, you know, when you first heard that doctor say he's more than likely has autism, 20 years ago, what was the first first things that were going through your mind? Oh, Rain Man. That was the only thing that I had to relate it to. And then as a mom... You have all these plans and, you know, when someone says that to you and with autism, even still today, there's a lot more resources, but it's not like, 
okay, your child has this, here's this medication to take, or here's this solution. It's basically figure it out yourself. And especially, I love where we live. I've never lived anywhere else but here, but especially 20 years ago, like you mentioned, there wasn't a lot of resources here. So it kind of began a journey, and it almost maybe um, falls into how there just was no resources. I mean, the daycares that Dylan got kicked out of on a regular basis right around this same time, it was really disheartening. Yeah. And I think we'll probably get to some of those stories here shortly. But I mean, for me, and again, this is 20 years ago, and we, we obviously, you know, as a society, but personally know a lot more about autism spectrum disorder than we did 20 years ago, right? right? So we didn't personally even really know what that meant. And, you know, autism is, is, is a huge range, a huge spectrum, right, from one end to the other. And Dylan is probably would be considered more on the severe end of the spectrum. Correct. Um, you know, he is verbal, but in a lot of other ways, which we'll get to, he's definitely on this more severe end. But, you know, at the time when he was two, I guess my part of me, you know, obviously it's very upsetting, but as I look back and I think part of me was, like you said, you know, we got him into speech therapy, you know, some other things at that point, you know, and this is going to sound ignorant, but you almost think like, well, he'll get over this, right? Right. Or he'll get better Mm -hmm. and he'll still do things that a typical child or a typical adult will do. So I think at that point, at least speaking for myself, I still thought that was a possibility. I think that you just constantly talk. I mean, I thought that all the time. You never really knew what was going to happen. And he'll grow out of it. He'll improve. He'll go to school. And by then, he'll be talking. He never really talked until he was seven. He said a few words occasionally. um, But he never really spoke until he was seven. And that was with a lot of prompting, which I know I could jump ahead. But... Yeah, I mean, I do believe that this autism journey is very similar to grief in some ways. Everyone is different, but a majority of my life with him was accepting it and getting used to it. And then you would be in a good groove, and then something would happen that would just jolt you right back to the reality that you were living. Yeah. No, I would agree, and I think we'll probably hit on a lot of those things that (laughs) jolted us back to reality over the years. That's well put. So you mentioned some of the adventures we had, you know, even before he was school age, right? Just with some daycares and and caregivers or babysitters, whatever you want to call them. What what are some of the things you remember about that? Well, I mean, the thing with Dylan, he – my – grandmother watched him for the first two years of his life and then it was getting a little too hard so we thought it'd be good to go to daycare and again we didn't really know what exactly was going on and Dylan had never really been around typical peers so I would go pick him up and then I would you know have parents staring at me at pickup like glaring at me because here I guess Dylan had been pushing their kids down all day long or biting because he couldn't talk And the daycares tried to be accommodating, and they always said they could handle it. And then it would be a couple weeks in or however long it would take, and they would call and miss a show. You know, this isn't going to work out. They just didn't have the staff to, like, keep him physically in the building. So a neighbor told us about a preschool program through the school district, which, again, I had no idea that they could start at three years old. So it was somewhere around like three or four that we got him into 
a really good preschool program close to the house that we lived in, in the what is now MCCTC. And it had um, six typical peers and six peers with special needs. That was probably one of the best things that happened to us because at least they weren't sending him home midday. They, you know, he might have been the most difficult one there. And I did have a really hard time, lots of times, physically getting him in the door, getting dressed, getting out of the house was a literal nightmare. Yeah. And going back to the daycares, I mean, like you said, we were very upfront. And, and th- th- this happened multiple times. This wasn't oh, just once I or twice. I can't even right? count. So, like, at least four daycares. Right. And we were very upfront about Dylan and his behaviors and, and some of the challenges. And it, it still just wouldn't work out. But when we think about, and maybe this will kind of transition us into a, a slightly different topic. So when we think about, you know, some of the behaviors and some of the challenges with Dylan at, at, at that age, you know, the one thing I think you've mentioned a couple of times is he was definitely a runner. So... I think the official term is elopement, but, you know, at that age, keeping Dylan in a daycare, in a classroom, in our house, you know, to be honest, you know, was a challenge. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. So, and the thing also is, you know, we can't forget our sweet Anderson who was born and it's because I'm thinking of a story when she was just a couple weeks old. So she was born January 20th. And then Dylan turned three a couple weeks yep. later. So they were almost exactly they're almost exactly three years apart. Correct. So I got this bright idea. I always had great ideas. I still do. I'm I'm full of ideas. But I got this great idea with one of the neighbors down the street that I was friends with that we would go to Chuck E. Cheese for Dylan's third birthday along with her daughter who was close in age. She was pregnant, and Anderson was five or six weeks old, seven weeks old. She was in one of the little car seat carriers. So we went to Chuck E. Cheese and Dylan decided to run up on the, I don't know what it's called, like ski ball. Ski ball, yep. Yeah, Dylan decided to run up on that game, up, climb up to the top of it and was standing there and no one could get to him. I actually left my newborn daughter in her car seat on the table at the Chuck E. Cheese to run over and try to get him. And I believe that that was the same day you were out of town for work that he had got out of his car seat, I still don't know how, in the garage and climbed into the front seat and was hiding under the dashboard. Right. So you came out to your car. With Anderson. With Anderson and... He was gone. You, you couldn't find Dylan. Anymore. Yeah, he was gone. Right. So what I happened was next? running up and down then. And I don't even know why I continued to go to Chuck E. Cheese after that. But I put him in the car seat first. I mean, I was right there in the garage. I went and turned around like for two seconds to grab her from the doorway, come back like Houdini, which he was. He somehow was gone. So I started running up and down the street in the backyard and it's winter. And then I don't know what made, I mean, literally flipping out and he was in the front seat the whole entire time like rolled in a ball hiding laughing i mean it's funny when you look back on it now but it wasn't very funny at the time and it wasn't very funny at the time and there were so i mean you have to laugh about some of these stories yeah a couple of my favorite dylan uh elopement stories um when i say favorite again now that everybody's okay you can look back on it and laugh it wasn't necessarily funny at the time but i remember you used to go and work out in the mornings. One of our neighbors down the street where we lived had her own kind of like in-home gym and and she did personal training. So you went there early in the morning. And I remember one time, you know, we thought, 
you know, Dylan was still asleep and I was in the shower getting ready for work and I hear the doorbell rang and I go downstairs and here is one of our neighbors down the street with Dylan. Yes. So Dylan had gotten out of the house, probably through a window. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about, you know, how we kind of remedied that situation in the future, but probably seven o'clock in the morning and Dylan couldn't have been more than oh, he was old. maybe like four years old in his pajamas, four or five, and, yeah. um, you know, running around the neighborhood. And then, you know, another thing that, again, really funny looking back on it, but we'd like to have the kids outside when they were young. We were lucky enough to live in the house with a big, beautiful backyard and, you know, not because we had a dog, but we had vinyl fencing put in around the backyard to keep our son in. Or so you we know, thought. Not, or so we thought, right? So I can just picture him. So this is a white planked vinyl fence. He would actually run up to the fence and like he was some black belt, like karate person, he would kick one of the planks of the fence, kick it out. And then squeeze himself through the plank and run out of the backyard. And this was a really nice, expensive fence. Right. I don't even know how I talked you into the little right. white picket fence. Right. And yeah, and then he would be halfway down the street and I couldn't get out because I was locked in the in the backyard. So I'd have to go back through the house. And right. I mean, and we were re- legitimately locked in our house. Right. We had to for all these reasons. And I know that... I found out, you know, years later than even some neighbors had said that, you know, how horrible we were locked in the house. But for these reasons, we had locks installed the inside of our house with a key Mm -hmm. and the windows. We had another neighbor come down who did, who was a contractor. And I know he thought I was a crazy person, but I said, I want the windows literally nailed shut so that they can't be opened because you know, we had a big two-story house that we couldn't risk Dylan jumping out. So we were locked in. We were. And looking back on it now, probably, not probably, but a major no-no, probably like, you Safety-wise. Safety-wise, if there was a fire or anything, you know, getting out of the house. But, you know, we were at a point where I, I don't know what other choice we had in that situation. So and like you, you said, we yeah. literally had... You need to have a key to get out of the house to unlock the door. It was locked from the inside. And again, we had basically just the windows pretty much nailed shut because he would try to escape any way that he could. And to you have to weigh the chances of if you think there's going to be a fire in the middle of the night or do you think that your child is going to climb out the window or run away or... So we did what we had to. And I mean, Dylan's so smart. We had to hide the key. If he would ever see you put the key anywhere, he would take the key and let himself out. I mean, some of the things that he's done in the course of his life. I mean, this is a this is an amazing human. And this is a very smart, mm-hmm. was a very smart little boy. Still a very smart young man. Yep. And the stories are endless. So another one of my favorites is the microwave story. Yes. So the one thing we did try to do and always have, even when we were in the midst of this, was always tried to find some time just for the two of us. So we had some amazing caregivers, babysitters, whatever you want to refer to them over the years, that would at least come over to our house for a couple hours on a Saturday evening. So you and I could go out, get some dinner, have a beverage, 
So I remember one time, and again, you're you're better with. Do you remember how old Dylan was at that point? He was probably like seven. Okay. I was upstairs again in the shower. I guess stuff always happens when I'm in the shower. It's, for some you're reason. in the shower for like um, hours, so I, that's probably I don't why. Think that's accurate, but so I was in the shower. We're getting ready. We had a, a caregiver coming over, so we go out for a couple of hours on a Saturday night. And I remember you just coming in, like yell, yelling or all excited that the microwave was on fire. Well, wait. So Dylan was obsessed. He would go through these phases, right. and so he was in a current. He was in a phase at the time of putting anything and everything in the microwave right. and turning it on. He ruined a caregiver's cell phone. He put it in the microwave. He would take out the contents of like the pantry and put it in the microwave, the fridge. It was really annoying and frustrating. But he had put a right. bag of potato chips. Put a bag of potato chips, and we even had a microwave. You know, we thought we had it figured out, right? Because. You could lock it, right? It was one of those micro. No, that was the new one. Was that a new one? Yeah. No, this is right, well, prior let me, to Let that. me finish that story and then I'll. But we, we ended up getting a microwave that you could lock. Right. He figured out if he climbed up on the counter, unplugged it, and then plugged it back in, it would take the lock off. Yeah, it would reset. And how he would know that, I have no idea, but he it, figured yeah, that out. But, in like five seconds of but, you bringing the new one home. But, but on this Saturday night, so you came in and said the microwave was on fire. And again, I'm going to make fun of you a little bit here, but what you did, <laughs> like, so the microwave, the inside of the microwave was on fire, right? So instead of just turn it off, you open the microwave and you like fan the flames. <laughs> well, first of all, as Kevin was taking a wonderful shower upstairs by himself, I was downstairs with both children. One of them were already discussing his behaviors and then Anderson, who was like four. So I did panic a little bit and I, I didn't have the proper fire putting out criteria running through my head. Fair enough. So no. I did, you know, probably <laughs> react the wrong way and it did yeah. burn the entire it, wall so and the, the stove. So cab, the cabinets, the wall all caught yeah. on fire. We were able to put the fire out. We didn't let that stop us. From no, we went out. <laughs> we still went out that night. We went out. Um, but the next day... I took Anderson to Home Depot, um, and Anderson was probably three, four, yeah. maybe at that time. And you know, her and I went through the checkout line, and all I had in the cart was a new microwave and a fire extinguisher. And Anderson looks at the cashier and says, "My brother set our microwave on fire." So um, I still find cashier that was like, say. "Oh." Uh, um, yeah, and that was the new one with the keypad lock. We were so proud of ourselves, and he jumped up on the counter and figured it out within like five seconds. Right. So it was always a good time. So what are some of the other safety issues or crazy things? Like you said, we were, at that point, we were almost in our own world, right? We were kind of in that yeah. house together most of the time. You and I, today, and then even then, we both had full-time jobs, so, but before work, after work, weekends, there were a lot of things that, again, I'll use the word typical families could do that we couldn't do. So we spent a lot of time in that house together. So, so what are some other things you remember about that? I just think that probably a really good topic that anyone living the same sort of life will understand is isolation mm -hmm. because we lived on a cul-de-sac we had a beautiful home. We had amazing neighbors, but we couldn't go, um, and this is not to feel sorry for myself, but we couldn't 
go over to the neighbor's house with the kids because you just couldn't with Dylan. You didn't know what he would do. And Dylan was not toilet trained. I know we haven't talked about that, but it's on the list. Um, Dylan was not toilet trained and it was really just too challenging to try to go anywhere. So we did stay pretty much locked in that house all the time. And it really was hard on Anderson, you know, looking back and some of the things. And I mean, we could have an entire podcast episode on like family outings and we probably should because there's some amazing stories. Right. But I do think that there's a lot of isolation that goes along with it. And a lot of people don't talk about it. I can remember, and it's horrible to say, I don't know if I ever even said this to you, but, you know, most people on a Friday are so excited when the work week's over. And I really kind of dreaded the weekends because we didn't have plans. There was nowhere we really went. We didn't really have caregivers except for the small window on a Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Sundays were just horrible for whatever reason. They were a long, bad day when you don't go anywhere and you're locked in your house. So I just think there are so many people that are still living like that, that no one even realizes. Well, that's absolutely true. And and I'm sure we'll get into that in a later episode. But even since we've started our nonprofit the last year or two, I think we've come to realize there's a lot of families in similar situations, you know, that we didn't even weren't even aware of before. But so, yeah, you're I mean. You know, we were in this house, and like you said, there are a lot of typical things that we couldn't do, right? So we couldn't take the kids to the pool or belong to, like, a swim club. We tried all those things. We tried all those things, and they all pretty much ended up as disasters. Right. But we did try. You know, we couldn't take Dylan trick-or-treating, as we saw all the other families, you know, out around the cul-de-sac with their kids and pulling wagons and all that good stuff. You know, we were in our house. You know, there were a lot of things we couldn't do. Trick-or-treating was always like a tough one for me because, you know, I just wanted to go like all of us and Anderson would get her hopes up and we would try it. And, you know, we'd either have somebody passing out candy at our house so the four of us could go and Dylan would, I mean, he didn't, it's, it's a hard concept to understand. He'd either want to go into every person's house because he thought that's what you should do if you knocked on the door. Right. And then when we tried to say no, he'd be laying down in the driveway or the sidewalk, or he'd just get naked, which we haven't talked about how much he loved to get naked and constantly take his clothes off in many different situations. And then we would be upset and stressed. And so one of us would take Anderson, usually you, but she didn't want, you know, that to be the situation. Mm-hmm. So trick-or-treating, especially as we're approaching, is always hard. Though it ended up, finally, I just started staying home with Dylan and we would pass out the candy, which he kind of got a kick out of. He'd ride his scooter around the house and like slam the door on every single trick-or-treater every time they rang the doorbell. <laughs> yes, he would. Or he would go on the front porch and <clears throat> ring the doorbell himself for like two hours. Right. So that was always fun. And again, you mentioned Anderson, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about her at a future point but you know that's another aspect of all this like there were a lot of things that you know anderson as the sibling the younger sibling missed out on or you know this definitely had a huge impact on her growing up as well it did and i think it probably um, is something that we could dive into in a future episode and feel like we're just kind of hitting um the very tip of the surface yep 
it, it's funny that when you mentioned trick-or-treating and him not understanding and wanting to go into into neighbors houses that did remind me of you know some more elopement st- stories when not only would he escape the house or the yard he would very often run into one of our neighbors houses yes. um you know and we were very fortunate you know especially next door to have some really cool neighbors that live there that accepted Dylan, loved Dylan, but you probably remember some of the times he would just run into their house. Well, literally almost every day. Anytime I would try to have a conversation with him about how we were going to go outside and we were going to do a good job and stay in the backyard and he would agree with me. And then one of his many ways of escaping, next thing you know, he's in their house and, you know, they're the, they're the kindest people that we're still friends with and Chris would just welcome him in with open arms. She had her own kids and dogs, and they were the nicest couple. And she'd get so mad at me for getting upset. She'd be, he, they'd be sitting at their kitchen table having a family dinner, and Dylan would come charging through their house, just running through the front door with me after. And she'd go, Dylan, you want to sit down and have dinner with us? Like it didn't even phase her. Right. And he'd be on their trampoline. Oh, I forgot about the trampoline. Yeah, and he yeah. wouldn't get off. Yeah. And I also remember... Another time when um, he ran across the street. And again, we had some awesome neighbors directly across the too. street, too. And I think one time he ran in and uh, did he get ice cream out of their freezer or? Well, that, yes, that's, he just ran across the street to their house, went inside, got an entire carton of ice cream out of their freezer and sat down. And, you know, they gave him a spoon because they're the kindest people ever. So he thought that was a really cool thing to do was to go into people's houses without even yes. you know and fun not funny at the time but funny looking back on it now so i know so i think this is probably a good point um to wrap up this episode so a lot more to get to um in our next episode we haven't really dug into some of the things with the school district and once he reached school age um you know vacations and trips that's going to be a that'll be a, a great good one. topic to go over so a lot more to come but for today. Thanks everyone for joining and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks. Welcome to Dylan's House was made possible by our partnership with Dandelion Inc. Follow our journey at Dylan's House on Facebook and TikTok. This is Dylan's House on Instagram and learn more about us at dylanshouse.org. If you like our stories at Welcome to Dylan's House, Please subscribe, like, and share.